good morning, church. It's really good to be back with you online today. Uh, Shelley and I have had a, a really great break. We, we had three to four weeks away in Western Queensland and into northern, the Northern Territory as well, and, and it was a fantastic time, and I just want to uh, thank you for allowing us the privilege of, of having that time away. There's a couple of quick things I just want to touch base with before I get into today's message. Something I've been meaning to actually uh, share with you for quite a few weeks now is that Kate Southwood has actually joined our staff um, just in a, in a half a day a week capacity working with um, the welcoming team and the hosting team and helping people to find their feet in Hills Church as they join this family. And so I'm really excited about that. And, and Kate, by the way, has also been studying it and because she feels the call to, to ministry. Uh, she's, she's working her way towards a lay ministerial role. And so just want to encourage you just to uh, support her in that, in that calling. And uh, we're, we're really glad that she can join our team in that, in that way. Well, my plan when I returned was to begin a new series that was going to take a, a deep look into the book of Hebrews, and I'm still going to do that, hopefully next week, if we're back to in-person services. Uh, but uh, for this week, I decided, I actually just wanted to share what I believe God has been talking to me about over the last four weeks. And so today's message is called Thoughts from the Wilderness. And as I mentioned, Shelley and I, we were, we were blessed to have almost four weeks away and uh, you know, we just took that opportunity to, to head west. We covered uh, nearly 8,000 kilometres and I reckon we overtook more than 200 caravans in that time. Because of border closures and other difficulties, not all of our plans came to fruition, but we eventually made it through to Uluru and Alice Springs and uh, it, it, we just loved it. It's always in these times, though, that you tend to, to contemplate a bit. You know, more, you, you kind of see a, a helicopter view of what's going on in your life a little bit. You, you've sort of stepped back from the day-to-day -day of your life. And so I just feel like God's talked to me about a few things, and I want to share those with you today. I hope you find them helpful. So I've got four thoughts I want to share. And here's the first thing. The first thought, thought number one, is this, that we need to honour rest as highly as we honour hard work. We need to honour rest and value it as much as we value hard work. You know rest is essential for our long-term well-being. Adequate rest time allows us to actually work better and achieve, more in the, and achieve better in the long run. We not only do better mentally, but, but also physically and, and spiritually when we get out of our daily routine and let go of the stress and worry and the, the constant work activity, that, that constant nature of, of our work activity. And I would also add to that, escaping all the distractions from the TV and the internet and the 24-hour news cycle that, you know, it, it just sometimes it consumes us and it stops our minds and bodies from resting. And I mean this for everyone, even if you're tired, because the online connected nature of this world can consume you and leave you feeling worn out. It can, it can leave us feeling tired a lot. Sometimes it just leaves us feeling depressed, quite frankly. So for your sake and the sake of your family, and perhaps even the sake of your work colleagues, and even for the sake 
of the success of your, of your business or your organization or your church, switch off and get away regularly. And if you're like me, your brain never seems to stop it. Or when it does, you know, when we, when we get away from our normal, normal work life, we, we fill our, our, our mind with voices and, and with, with uh, media and with, with uh, all our digital devices. We fill that gap that was supposed to be rest with other things. And it can actually become addictive. And we lose the ability to, to be still and to contemplate and to pray and to relax and even to listen to God. This is actually a serious problem in our culture. And, and I'm speaking from, you know, from my own experience here. Now, Jesus did it. He got away from the crowds and his ministry. You know, he, his job, we could call it in a sense. And he used that time for himself. He, here's what it says in Matthew 14. After sending them home, this is Jesus, after sending them home, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. And night fell while he was there alone. You know, there were times in Jesus' ministry when he just simply had to tell people to leave him alone. And he went away. And yes, there was, of course, a time of prayer. That was a key focus in this specific instance when he was away. But just being away and away from your daily routine and sometimes away from others is important. We also know Jesus spent a large chunk of time in the wilderness after his baptism. He was fasting and he was praying. And there's other times mentioned in the scripture as well. But I'm confident that there, that there were actually times not mentioned in the scripture. I think this is what Jesus did as part of his routine. He was a hard worker. But he got away. And he got rest. When you take time away, Jesus is not looking at you and shaking his head in disappointment. He's actually applauding you and encouraging you to find rest. Fasting and praying is a part of our, of our uh, time away, but I'm talking mostly about self-care today. I'm talking about rest because rest was God's idea. God himself rested. We go all the way back, all the way back to Genesis chapter 2. On the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation, so he rested from his work. And if he needs rest, you know, if God needs rest, how much more do we need it? In fact, he told us to make sure you have at least one day a week when you're resting. At least. And I'll do a sermon one day on the Sabbath. But Jesus not only took time off each week, he escaped his daily routine and ministry to rest and find some peace and to do and also to connect with his father better. He was very clear that the Sabbath was for us. I'm not saying all this to somehow justify my, my leave, by the way. I don't need to do that. I'm saying it because I've just received the benefits of rest, and I believe God wants that for all of you too. Can I just add to this point before I move on? We have a tendency in our Western culture to, to value overworking. You know, I'm not talking about working hard, but overworking. There is something, 
this is something that I've had to work hard to break in myself because I used to get a lot of value out of people telling me, Nathan, you're a hard worker. So much so that I would worry what people would think when I took leave or if I wasn't seen to be working hard. You know, a little prideful part of me would love it when people would notice when I worked long hours or, or they, they would notice if I wasn't taking time off. And, and that's just not emotionally healthy. And, and I think it can be a cultural problem, to be honest. You know, a couple of years ago after I had some leave, someone actually said to me, Nathan, you're always on holidays. And suddenly I got really worried that people would think that that was true and that I wasn't working hard enough. And the problem is that first, it's not true. You know, I get four weeks leave like everyone else does. But more importantly, why am I worried if people know I'm taking four weeks leave a year? You know, the reverse should be true. We should be celebrating when people take their holidays, when people take leave. It's good for them. It's good for their family. It should be good for your walk with the Lord. Previous generations, including my generation, have taught the current generation the value of good hard work, and that's an awesome gift. But in my opinion, we haven't valued rest and self-care enough. We would often wear our overwork as a badge of honor. Wow, that person works 70 hours a week and hasn't had a holiday for three years. Aren't they amazing? It's not amazing. They're dying on the inside and their family probably is too. Why would we want that? I'm not talking about being lazy or taking advantage of your employer. I'm not talking about that. That is not good integrity and it doesn't honor God. God also values good workers who put their hand to the plow, as do I. I am talking about our cultural tendency to look down on the rest, on rest as being weak. You know, we hold up this 70 to 80 hours a week of working as some kind of badge of honor, and we just shouldn't do that. Too many marriages don't make it because of it. Too many lives don't make it. Too many churches and ministries don't make it when we don't value God's design to get some rest and have that good balance. Work hard and rest. I remember speaking to one of my uh, favorite pastors in America. He had a large church. I said, Steve, how do you do it? He said, Nathan, I work really hard, but I rest really hard too. He said, I work hard and I play hard. And I, I just love hearing that, that. There's a balance there. Anyway, enough of that one. Thought number two for today. We need to practice a more slowed down spirituality to cultivate a deeper relationship with Jesus. And it's connected to the first point. But we either fail to slow down or we get distracted by our digital world that we've lost the ability to actually listen to God. You might remember the story of Mary and Martha that, that Claire Marcatenius preached on early, earlier this year. Such a good sermon, Claire. Jesus was at their home and, and Martha was so busy serving Jesus, she missed out on just being with him, which is his main concern for you and I. This is what he said to Martha, who complained that Mary wasn't doing enough. This is in Luke 10. The Lord said to her, Jesus said to her, My dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. There is only one thing worth being concerned about. And Mary has discovered it. 
and it will be not taken away from her. The one thing Jesus wants us to be concerned about is our relationship with him. The one thing, how close we are to him. You know, I can identify with Martha. Serving God is my gift, and I love doing it. And I know Jesus loves that about me and about many of you as well. But not when it comes at the expense of that relationship. That's always his priority. He just wants to be in relationship with us. That is why we even exist. You know, he created us because he desired a relationship with us. He loves us. He actually likes our company, if you can believe that. He actually likes our company. God actually wants to be connected to us. And sometimes he's waving his arms up and down, just trying to get our attention and saying, hey, would you just stop for a minute? Can we just be together? I want to talk to you. I want you to talk to me. More often we need to stop doing and just start being. And again, our Western spirituality, it's just looking for results, get things done. We want to be able to point to all of our achievements. But Jesus said to Martha that being with him is what he values the most. Slow down spirituality. If we're too busy doing for God that we have almost no time to just be with God, then it's time to make a change. Here's thought number three for today. And you'll see a pattern here. The quality of our relationships should be valued more than our job status, our wealth, our social standing, or the size of our church. The quality of our relationships are a priority. You know, we love a successful person and our culture idolizes people who have the biggest and the best and the most. You know, we look to them for kind of answers. Western Christianity does the same thing. We love the big churches and we look up to the famous pastors and, and that's okay, by the way. In general, I have no problem with big churches and I have no problem with small churches and I have no problem with medium churches. They're all doing their thing that the God's called them to do. But more and more, we're discovering emotionally unhealthy pastors and leaders, you know, perhaps with strong personalities who have a very obvious gifting and an ability to get things done. But when you peek behind the curtain, too often there's a, a toxic environment and a trail of, of bodies kind of left behind them. Now, not always, I'm not saying that's always the case. But if you follow Christian media of late, we're just seeing this uncovered more and more, especially in recent years. You know, I've been listening to a, a podcast on, by Christianity Today recently called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill, which is a, an excellent podcast, by the way. I recommend you listen to it because it's got some amazing insight. And it's about uh, one of the fastest growing churches in America from about 2000 to 2013, 14, called Mars Hill Church, led by Mark Driscoll. And, and they do a lot of background um, of what happened to this church that kind of fell apart, it imploded in a heap, in, in just like almost like a moment. And there's a lot of stuff about, about Mark and, and the things that, that was wrong with his ministry. But I think they nailed it when one person pointed out 
that our Christian culture is addicted to leaders who get results no matter the cost. We love that highly gifted leader with the highly gifted communication style, with the highly gifted worship team, and I, and I get it. But too often the cost for our measure of success is too high. And those leaders don't reflect the shepherd heart of Jesus. They reflect the success culture of our society. They don't reflect the heart of Jesus. Jesus is concerned about our relationship with him and, and with each other first. You know, that's his measure of success. Lives changed. Relationships restored and healed. That's the kingdom of heaven. Now, again, I just want to point out, I've got pastor friends with large churches who aren't like this. I'm just saying that we have seen this pattern too often of late. Mega churches and pastors aside, where are our priorities? If our work or our drive to success is affecting our marriage or our families or our, or our friendships even, you know, if it's affecting them in detrimental ways, it, it needs to change. You know, man, I, I know we put a lot of value in how we provide for our families, but our relationship with our wife and kids, that's the provision that they actually want most. And I'm not saying, by the way, that it's the man's role to be the main provider. I'm, I'm not saying that. I'm saying that in general, but not, all, but not always, men put a high value in providing for our families. We like to do, do it, whether it's just a social or cultural construct, I, I don't know. I don't really care. I'm just saying that we do. And yes, of course, it can be the same for women too. The point is that the provision of emotional, spiritual and relational support is the priority. That's the provision. It trumps the nicer car or promotion or pay rise every single time. If you want to know how to be a real man of God, love your wives like Christ loved the church. You know, care for them, respect them, protect them, pray for them, pray with them. Ask them how you can serve them more. Find out what their love language is and love them better in that way. And yes, provide for them. We can get to retirement and have worldly success, but it means little if we have a long trail of strained or, or broken relationships behind us. I want to get to retirement and have, don't have those regrets. I don't want to have those regrets about my relationships with my wife and my daughters and my friends and my church, my church family. The point, about, the point I'm making is that the quality of our relationships should be the priority. The last thought that I had is that we need to be countercultural in some new ways. You know, our culture is so unhealthy. We have so much wealth and technology, and yet the world is still a mess in many ways. In the end, it comes back to pride and selfishness, and those two things are usually just, just sin. It's the, it's the best way to describe it. The church should be showing a different way. The culture abuses and disparages or, or yells at people all the time. You know, you, you watch what's going on in politics around the world, and it's just toxic. The church is not aggressive. We're not toxic. We're not supposed to be. We're not even passive-aggressive. We advocate for justice. 
but we do it in a different way. We're, we're the new creation. People we disagree with should know we love them. I'm calling on us as God's church to be countercultural. Some thoughts I had on this particular point is this. We should re- resist the temptation to be offended because everyone seems to be offended now. It's a trap of the devil. And yet I still see it in Christians. People might say and do things we don't like or that might even hurt us a bit, but Satan lays a trap for us in these areas. He wants us to be offended because offended people strike back. Offended people walk away from relationships. Offended people cause strife and division. And Satan loves that. It's a trap and we should avoid it. In my experience, some people have a real struggle with offense. They seem to be offended very easily. From what I see, though, the person who is damaged the most by your offense is you, is us, it's me, the offended one. You know, we lose friendships, we get anxious, we lash out at others. We're not pleasant to be around. In my experience, offense can become addictive. Over time, we kind of like, you know, just kind of like that feeling of being offended. The problem is we're just not really walking in the ways of Jesus. We're not reflecting him well. There's a reason Jesus said, turn the other cheek. He said, you should forgive 70 times seven. Not because he wants you to stay in an abusive relationship. That's not the case at all. That's, that's a bad reading of that command. It's to stop us from being part of that cycle of pain, of revenge. It's a cycle of evil, really. Being countercultural, it's fighting the temptation to always be offended and instead to forgive, restore, heal, and live in God's peace. Second way we can be countercultural is to resist the selfish culture that everything's all about me. And what I mean by that is that our culture's concerned about me, me, me. I want more and I want bigger and I want faster. The opposite of that is wanting more for those around us. Of course, I'm not saying you can't work hard and have nice things. I'm not saying that. But Christians are called to live lives of generosity. When God gives us more than we need, we need to prayerfully consider what he wants us to do with that and perhaps who he wants us to give it to. John Wesley has a famous quote where he said, earn all you can, save all you can, and give all you can. And I love that. I think that's a great rule that we can live by. Paul says in Corinthians that we should not only give generously, but we do it joyfully. You know, not reluctantly. There's a joy that comes in giving and blessing others. It's actually part of who we are in Christ as a new creation. The more we follow Jesus and be like him, the more our eyes turn off ourselves and all of our wants and desires and onto others and their needs, and they become our wants and desires, especially those in critical need. Christians are and should be the most generous in society. And my own experience has shown that God honors generosity. I'm not saying that he makes you rich if you give generously, by the way. That's not biblical. But he does take care of your needs, and I've experienced that myself. The third way that we can be countercultural is to love those who are against us or those who disagree with us, or those who are different to us. Love those who are against us, or disagree with us, or are different to us. And and I saved the hardest one to last, last, 
And I preach on this often because I need it. I need to remind myself often, and, and I suspect it's the same for all of you. We have to constantly come back to it and consider where we are so that we can grow in this command that comes directly from Jesus. You know, I know you might be sick of me mentioning it, but this, you know, this, this is the kind of love that we've got to get to. So we, we've got to be willing to do the hard things. So let me just quickly remind you what Jesus said in, in Luke chapter 6. If you love only those who love you, why should you get credit for that? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, why should you get credit? Even sinners do that much. And if you lend money only to those who can repay you, why should you get credit? Even sinners will lend to other sinners for a full return. And then he says this. Love your enemies. Well, how do I do that? Well, he helps us. Do good to them. Do good to your enemies. Lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Then your reward from heaven will be very great and you will truly be acting as children of the Most High. For he is kind to those who are, un he is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. You must be compassionate just as your father is compassionate. And I know I've read that passage many times here in this church. But where are we with this one? You know, are we getting there? Are we moving closer? Are we actually stretching ourselves when people do the wrong thing by us to find ways to do good to them, to love them? It's almost impossible, except all things are possible for Jesus and he lives in me. I've covered a lot of things today and I want to encourage you to choose one today and act on it. These are my thoughts from the wilderness. Do you need to get some rest? Take some action. Do you need to slow down your spirituality and draw in closer to Jesus? Take some action. Turn off the YouTube and the Facebook. Spend some time with the Lord. Do you need to reprioritize your life to value relationships over your work or ministry? You know, don't just, I'm not saying quit all those things, but if they're consuming you and they're interfering with your relationships, take some action. Do you flow with the culture or are you countercultural like Jesus? Do you need to take some action about being easily offended or, or, or a lack of generosity? You know, I'm too busy trying to accumulate for myself. I don't ever give. Or most importantly, do you need to, to do good to those who may have hurt you? That's the hard one. Our culture, the church, this culture here should reflect those things, should reflect Jesus. If it's not, I ask you to do one thing this week that might change something. So those are my reflections from the desert. God willing, we're going to be opening one of the more difficult books of the Bible next week in Hebrews. But I believe it's going to help us to go deeper in our walk with Jesus. So if you can, I invite you to please join us, hopefully here in the auditorium. If not, it will be online again. Let's pray. God, we just thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, that uh, you do draw close to us when we draw close to you. That's what your word says. And Father, I pray for Hills Church now that uh, we will contemplate how it is that we can live more like you and more for you. God, I believe there's joy to be had in these things. I don't believe it's to uh, th th these commands and, and these scriptures, Lord, are, are to make our lives miserable. They're to make our lives joyful, Lord, and more fulfilling. 
God, I pray that, uh, that you will help each one of us as we go through this week. In Jesus' name, amen.